Hey, Katie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that threw me off. In a recent episode, I remember we were talking about um, Bay's ball. <laughs> I had to. Because uh, in that episode, I didn't have a dad joke, so I had to make this one especially bad. Uh, we're going to explore that in just a second. You are listening to The New Year Digressions. That was that was a pretty good one. I hate I'm to say so it, but that was a that. pretty good one. <laughs> I'm so proud of that one. <sighs> okay, onward oh, and man. upward. Where where have I uh, to to where have I fallen? If I'm so proud of that. <clears throat> Indeed. Indeed. Biggest accomplishment all day. Okay, so um, this example. Let's let's recount the example because why not? Yeah. Okay. So the idea was. Imagine that you are uh, some kind of baseball scout and you're trying to figure out what the um, what the batting average of a baseball player is. And the batting average, like there's there's this thing called like a true batting average, which is kind of an abstract quantity, which is how often would this baseball player hit, you know, hit the baseball in an infinite number of times that at bat. And and that's get on base. Or yeah, whatever, whatever a batting average. I think it's yeah, I think it's getting on base. I think I, I think home base. runs count too, right? Oh well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the point is, you don't have an infinite number of times that the that the batter has been up to bat. Instead, what you have is some number of times that they've been up to bat, and from that you can calculate sort of this empirical batting average. But the question is, once you have that number, what does that tell you about their sort of true underlying unseen batting average because that's what you're actually interested in. And so we were talking about this. Is there like a way that we can formulate this in like a sort of Bayesian way and and how one of the very reasonable guesses that you can make is, well, my best guess about what their batting average is going to be in the future is let's just take what it's been in the past. Right. You just say, okay, they've done so well, they're going to just continue doing exactly as well. Yeah. Yeah, so they've batted 0.25 in the past, so let's guess 0.25 in the future. And they're still in the major leagues, huh? I think 0.25 is, you know, that's pretty uh, good, I think. Okay. Anyway, your best guess is 0.25, and maybe there's like a standard deviation that you can assign to that, which you've probably also taken from data as well. So 0.25 plus minus 0.02 or something like this, maybe. Um, So most of the time you expect them to be between point. 0.23 and 0.27. So then the question is, let's suppose that instead of just having this one baseball player, you have an entire baseball team. So you have this person's RBI. No, that's not what an RBI is. <laughs> this person's batting average. RBI is a different thing. <laughs> this person's batting average. You have the shortstop's batting average. You have the third baseman's batting average. You have the catcher's batting average. You have a whole bunch of other information now that's available to you. And the question is, is there any way that you can use this other information to help you make a more informed guess about, for any one individual, what you would predict for their batting average in the future? Right. So let me propose to you two different ways now that you can, two different reasonable guesses that you can make. So first reasonable guess is, let's just treat our baseball player, our you know, baseball player of interest, let's treat them independently of the rest of the team. Let's ignore the rest of the team. And my best guess as to what this, this batter is going to do in the future is just, let's say we're halfway through the season. So we have stats on the first half of the season. And I say the second half of the season, my best guess 
is they're going to have a batting average that's equal to the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. So we'll say this, it, that it's kind of like the individual mean, if you like, is my best guess. Or my estimator, in fact. Estimator is like usually what you hear this called uh, because you're reading a statistics paper. Ah, uh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. So best so, guess is estimator because you got to have a fancier sounding term. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe estimators are like a little bit more complicated, but like let's, my, mm, my okay. estimator is the mean, the individual mean. Okay. So that's, that's strategy number one. Strategy number two is instead, let's say that my estimator is the mean of all the means. So it's the average of the pitcher and the catcher and the third baseman and the shortstop and the left fielder and all that stuff. Right. right. Now this one actually, uh, this one kind of confused me. Like not knowing where you're going with this, my intuition says your player of interests, uh, batting average is roughly independent, is generally independent of the batting average of all the rest of the team. I mean, there are probably some examples, like if you have especially really, really bad morale, you know, that might impact it. But like, I just don't personally see how other players' batting average would have any impact on the player of interest. And furthermore, it seems strange to, um, to make that connection if you also only have past data of your players. Like, for example, I could imagine if you had half of a season for your player of interest, but you had the entire season's worth of data, like also the future for all of your other players. I don't know, that feels a little bit more tractable, but I also think based on the fact that you brought this up, that my intuition (laughs) is completely wrong. Yeah, so let me give you maybe an intuitive case in which, which might make it more apparent why the other players might be relevant. Mm-hmm. So let's suppose that your player of interest was just recently traded to this team or like was injured or something. And for some reason, the first half of the season, this batter was only a bat two times. And as it happened, got extremely lucky and hit home runs on both of those two at bats. Mm-hmm. So now our empirical guess if what we're taking is just the mean from the first half of the season our guess right now is that the player is going to bat a thousand for the remainder of the season yeah. uh, whereas let's say if you were to look at the at the team as a whole you find that by and large they're batting you know 250 plus minus oh, a bit so in that case i would argue that the context of the rest of the team is giving you is giving you some information which is basically that the player that you're interested in seems to be a little bit of an outlier. And so you probably in this case would want to come up with some kind of compromise between what the group as a whole seems to be doing. And then, you know, maybe there is some information in the fact that, that this player did really, really well in the first half, you know, small sample, but in the first half of the season, maybe this, maybe this guy actually is pretty good and he's going to be above average, but I don't think anyone would expect him to bat a thousand for the rest of the season. Yeah, given that nobody ever has, so. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that example is actually, it does illustrate a little bit better. Uh, I guess the thing that my intuition wasn't taking into account is that you do have a smaller sample size for an individual, whereas if you take into account the entire team, now you have a lot more data points, and so you're, gonna, you're going to um, be able to converge on maybe a truer answer, whereas obviously batting a 1,000 getting a hit every single time a bat is just completely, clearly not reasonable. 
Yeah, and so there's there's a more precise way that we can formulate this. Actually, uh, we've we've arrived at the place where we're going with this, which is talking about what's called the James Stein estimator. So the first estimator that we that we floated was the idea of let's just take the mean of this player's batting average for the first half of the season. Right. The second estimator that we were thinking about is let's take the mean of the means of the entire baseball team and use that as our estimate of what the any mean individual of all the means. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh-huh. And so the James Stein estimator is a compromise in between the two. So the James Stein estimator, it, it, there's a mathematical formulation. We say the James Stein estimator, we're going to call it Z, and that is equal to uh, the grand mean, so that's the mean of all the means, plus some correction factor, and that correction factor is, is a, a constant C that we'll come back to, times the difference between the grand mean and the individual mean. So if you have mm. uh, someone who's batting far above or far below the group average, then the difference between the group average and that individual mean is going to be large. And so that large uh, difference is going to be multiplied by this constant. And then you're going to take a step in the direction of the group mean. And that step is going to be larger if there's like a bigger difference that you have to make up. So in other words, it's a compromise. It's a way of formulating exactly the compromise that we want to strike between the individual and the group. Okay, so you're striking this compromise between the two. You did mention a constant you called C, and I'm guessing that's not the speed of light. It is not the speed of light. No, that's right. Um, Yeah, so C is, there's a formula for C, and so the exact formula for C is 1 minus, now there's a fraction in the numerator, the fraction is K minus 3 times sigma squared over the sum over the sum of Y minus Y bar squared. Oh, got it. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. It's it's actually it's yeah this isn't too crazy actually so yeah. what this is saying is so although I, I do have to just say describing equations on a podcast uh, I don't know <laughs> pure gold this yeah, is why people listen to us yeah so what's going on with this with this c let me just kind of heuristically explain it so the bigger value c has it means the bigger of a step you're going to be taking away from any individual prediction so the idea is we're trying Mm. to understand what we're going to how we're going to adjust an individual prediction and we have the choice between the the group mean and the individual mean that we've measured before and so the bigger c is that's basically saying err more on the side of the individual mean that makes okay so so if i think of it as i'm starting at my baseball player of interest and then i'm taking a step towards the entire average of all of the means on on the team. If I think about it that way, then C defines how big of a step I take towards the team's average and away from the individual players. So the larger C is, the less we weight our player of interest's historical performance. Yeah, that's right. And so something that can make C large is if we have a big standard deviation on the individual measurement that we're taking. So in the case of the baseball player who only had two at-bats, right. uh, you're going to have a big uncertainty on that. And so you're going to say like, okay, I'm going to allow myself to take a big step away from this potentially because it you know, has a big uncertainty on it. And so that's that's a reasonable thing to do. Another thing that allows you to take a big step away from the individual mean is uh, K is one of the other uh, numbers that goes into goes into your calculation of C. And, and K is the number of unknown means 
that so it's like sort of like the number of baseball players on your team in this case. So if you have a really, really big baseball team, if you have a thousand people on your baseball team, then those thousand measurements are going to give you sort of a, a stronger indicator of where the group mean is than mm-hmm. if you only had five players on your baseball team. Got it. So if you have if you have uh, a thousand players, then you can say it's a lot more likely that your player, of, or, sorry, it's a lot less likely that your player of interest is going to be all that far away from the mean uh, or the clustering, I guess, because you've got a thousand people all really, really tightly packed. It would be pretty crazy if you had your 1,001th player, which is of interest to us, turns out this person's not in the group, this person's like deviating significantly. Whereas if you have five baseball players and you're looking at a sixth, then that uh, the clustering won't necessarily mean as much uh, probabilistically. Yeah, so there, there are two things that you said there actually, and only one of them is, is what I've covered so far, but let me just like reiterate it to make the point. Yeah. So the first is we imagine there's sort of like this I think cluster is a good heuristic word for it. Like it's not technically a cluster in the way that maybe you think about it, but it's a good mental model is we have this cluster and that's our baseball team. And then we have some individual point we're trying to decide whether to take the cluster more seriously or the point more seriously or like whatever. And so how, how important we think the cluster is, is basically a function of two things, which is how many members are in that cluster how big is our baseball team? Does it have a thousand people or does it have a five people? And then the second thing, which I hadn't said, but you sort of said it, is how tightly clustered is that cluster? So mm-hmm. are they all mm-hmm. piled right on top of each other or is it pretty diffuse? And so if it's a very diffuse cluster, then maybe we're going to take sort of a less strong indication from that. Got it. And that's all wrapped up inside of the equation for C and also K. Yeah. This is how you calculate the adjustment that you're going to make to any given point so you can calculate what's called the James Stein estimator. And the James Stein estimator is the thing that's sort of the compromise between the individual and the group. And the thing that's kind of interesting about the James Stein estimator is that when you take the James Stein estimator, if you're applying it to just one individual baseball player, then it could get you closer to sort of the true batting average for that person, but it could also move them away potentially. Mm-hmm. So if you have a true, if you had a true outlier, for example, if you really had someone who was the greatest baseball player who's ever existed. Or Jam- if I was on the team, <laughs> I would be the worst baseball player that's ever existed. <laughs> right, right. It can artificially uh, inflate your stats by virtue of your, by, by virtue of your teammates. It's, it's effectively <laughs> saying there's no way this guy is this bad. Uh, <laughs> The James Stein estimator is not necessarily guaranteed to get you closer to kind of the true answer for any individual, but on average, it will get you closer to, if you were to like add up your errors over the entire baseball team, on average, it will get you closer to kind of like the correct distribution than if you were to take each one of them individually, which is interesting. This whole thing that I've just explained is often called Stein's paradox. And on the one hand, I think that it's not that paradoxical in some ways, mm-hmm. the idea that you want to, if you see uh, you know, some member of a group who's far overperforming or underperforming the group as a whole, that that might be an indication that you have some regression to the mean that you might expect or something that you that you think that maybe the underperformers will do a little bit better in the future. The reason they were doing so poorly was because, you know, they just got unlucky and in the future they won't necessarily get unlucky. Um, Mm -hmm. And then likewise for the overperformers. 
And the thing that's interesting about Stein's paradox is that it doesn't have anything in it that requires that all of the baseball players be baseball players, so to speak. So there's all these funny examples mm. of, let's suppose that you have, you know, your baseball team and you're trying to figure out how good they are at baseball or whatever. But instead of putting in, you know, you put in 19 baseball players and instead of putting in the 20th one, you put in, let's say, the fraction of, instead of putting in somebody's batting average, you put in the fraction of cars in Chicago that are made by foreign manufacturers, right? Like just pick something that couldn't conceivably have anything to do with baseball averages. Uh The thing that's crazy about Stein's paradox is that, or about, you know, the whole James Stein estimator thing that we just talked about is that it will very happily, you know, you can pass that number into these calculations and everything works just fine. And in fact, the actual conclusions still hold that the James Stein estimator that you make on the basis of this very weird data set that you've just assembled of 19 baseball averages and one ratio of car manufacturers, uh-huh. on average, will get you better estimates for what? the baseball players' averages than than if you didn't do that, which is which is totally weird. Yeah. On the other hand, here's here's the way to think about it, though, is that so I, I think that there's actually a pretty good illustrative point that's not quite as absurd because this is clearly absurd. Um, yeah, that, this is clearly absurd. Yeah. But here's, here's a case that's slightly less absurd. So there's an example I was reading about where they were trying to figure out infection rates for toxoplasmosis in uh, this country in South America. El Salvador. That's what it was. And what's yeah. toxoplasmosis? Oh, it's it's this disease... And the main thing I know about it is that, like, cats carry it. But I think it can actually, it can be pretty dangerous, I think, if you're pregnant and you have toxoplasmosis. It can be related to, like, schizophrenia later in life and all kinds of Mm. nasty stuff. So Sounds like a nasty thing. Yeah, it's not something, it's not something you really want to have. And, you know, (laughs) if there's feral cats hanging around, I think the, you know, the transmission rates of toxoplasmosis from cats to humans can be non-negligible. And so the idea was they were taking measurements all over El Salvador of toxoplasmosis rates, and they were going to use them to try to figure out where to place hospitals. And so the idea is that the toxoplasmosis rates in any one city, you know, there's sort of this true toxoplasmosis rate that you can't actually measure in the same way you can't actually Mm -hmm. measure someone's true batting average. But you can take some measurements, and that'll give you a good starting point to guess. And then the idea was that they then did some, the James Stein, what's called shrinkage, usually when, when you take these means and you kind of readjust them based on what you see over the entire group that you've assembled. And so the thing about the James Stein, the, the shrinkage, the amount that you actually move your estimate, how far off your James Stein estimator is from just the, the mean that you would have taken just out of the box. In this particular case overall, this was actually a case that they looked at. Over the population as a whole, the James Stein estimators were giving estimates that in about 70% of the cases were closer to sort of the true mean than if you had just used the the means without any shrinkage. The thing about it, though, is that the James Stein estimator can give a significantly worse estimate in the case of outliers. On average, it might be doing a little bit better, but then the outliers can actually do significantly worse. So let's suppose that there's some city that, let's say, gets different rainfall than all the other ones. It's a different type of geography. And so 
the animals that transmit taxoplasmosis are much more prevalent in that area. And so we have a true outlier because there's actually like a different underlying mechanical reason. In that case, the James Stein estimator is still going to take that outlier and it's going to try to pull it in closer to the group Mm. average, but then it's going to like get it way off. So you're kind of trading, uh, you know, slight improvements on the bulk of your guesses for sometimes large degradation of any individual outcome. And so in the case of trying to use information about car rates to infer something about batting averages, well, obviously car rates and batting averages don't really have anything in in common. And so there's a, there's a good chance that your car rates are just going to be pulled toward the group average. And as a result, you're going to end up with like a really big error on that, which makes sense because it's not related at all. So there's kind of this trade-off where if there really is some kind of underlying dynamic, then the James Stein estimator is really good at like using the shrinkage to kind of pull everything closer to something that's described by that underlying dynamic. But if there isn't an underlying dynamic, then it can actually just kind of spit things off all over the place. And in general, still things will be like a little bit closer to the underlying true answer. But the more and more you move toward a data set that doesn't have anything in common with it underneath, the more and more the James Stein estimator doesn't actually buy you anything. Um, So it's not going to get any worse than if you just kept everything independent, taken over the entire population. But it's not something that you can just apply to random collections of numbers and expect to get estimates that are therefore more accurate than if you had Mm -hmm. done the naive thing that made sense off the bat, like treated them each individually. Okay, so I I, I think that made sense. You've got the shrinkage where the outlier data points are going to be disproportionately pulled in. But I I guess I don't understand yet how the um, one data point on car manufacturers will make your however number of baseball players uh, any better. Like how, how does that data, how does that actually improve the data set? Oh yeah. Well, so in this case, because car manufacturers have nothing to do with baseball, right? then the way that I like to think about it is you can add in that data point and you're not adding in any additional helpful information. I think we would agree. You're just right. kind of adding in some noise. But the thing that makes this a little bit of a paradox, the thing that I think is kind of cool about it, is that even though you're not adding in any information, you're also not making it worse. Mm, is that because, so that's because it disproportionately demotes uh, outliers and their effect on the data set. Yeah, so it will just pull the outliers toward the group. It'll also pull the group a little bit toward the outlier. And the thing that's a little bit weird about it is that if there's really no connection between the outlier and the group, then usually, you know, those steps they'll take toward each other, like that'll end up as basically a wash. So in the worst case, over the entire set of predictions you might want to make, you make a bunch of small errors in one direction, and you make a big error from another data point, and like kind of everything is on average, not any worse than it was before. Mm, which is okay. weird. Yeah, you don't, I mean, it's not something that you want to do. <laughs> right. Like, you don't want to add in spurious spurious information that's not con- corrected because it's not going to get you anywhere. But the thing that's a little bit paradoxical, a little bit paradoxical about the James Stein estimator is that there's basically mathematical limits on how much worse it can make things to add mm. in kind of this spurious, unconnected information. 
That's really cool. So I can rest easy uh, knowing that I just joined that baseball team. Oh, and if, and, and the James Sinus manager is going to pull you right on up to the group mean. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, what I meant is I, I, I won't affect their numbers if you're using a James Stein estimator. All that much, at least. Because, I, I mean, I would definitely be an outlier. Right. So it would get it would get you way off. It would get the rest of them a little bit off. But it's not going to get them really any worse off than if you hadn't been in the data set to begin with. That makes me happy. Um, I actually want to close out this episode just by um, sharing a brief story about how literally I'm horrible, horrible at baseball. Oh, do tell. Um, yeah, so I played, most recently when I played baseball, I was uh, I was playing in the T-ball league. And uh, I, I, after this incident, I quit. Uh, partially because this incident was traumatic and partially because then kids my age started throwing the balls rather than me hitting it off of a tee. And I, I just felt that was unsafe. Oh, so just for um, background, this was when you were a child. This was this not is, when you were oh, a child. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, this is last year. <laughs> I don't know. People play like softball. Anyway, go on. Well, but t-ball. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. If you're over 10 years old and you play t-ball, right in. Oh. So <laughs> I was in uh, right field, and I, I think I was like playing with the grass or something like that. And I hear the crack of a bat, and I look up. And this is like the this is the one time a fly ball is hit to me. So this is my moment. But rather than like seizing this moment and catching the ball and, and being the, the hero of the game, I uh, I froze in place, petrified. I put up my glove not to catch the ball, but to protect my face from the ball. And the ball landed in my glove and then slowly rolled out and fell <laughs> on the ground. And that <laughs> That was the end of my baseball career. So rather than having a, a sports uh, sports thing that I do every night, um, I instead log on to Skype and talk to you. And I think it works out for, um, for the best for me. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.